Welcome to Let's Talk Farm to Fork, the post-harvest podcast that interviews people making an impact in the fresh produce sector. We'll take a deep dive into what they do and find out how they're helping to reduce the amount of food lost or wasted along the farm to fork journey. But before we get started, did you know that according to the UN's Food and Agriculture Organization, around 45% of the world's fruits and vegetables go to waste each year? If you would like to learn more about how you can practically play your part in maximizing fruit and vegetable supplies, whether you're a part of the industry or simply a consumer, visit postharvest.com and try out their free online course library today. Now, time for your host, Mitchell Denton. Hi there, and welcome to Let's Talk Farm to Fork, the post-harvest podcast that interviews people of interest across the food supply chain within the fresh produce sector. Today on our show, I'm joined by Richard Torino from Good and Fugly, who I'll be talking to about how their rescued food box service is working towards reducing the amount of annual food loss one box at a time. So with no further delays, let's get started. Hi, Richard. Thanks for joining me. How are you? Good. Thanks, Mitch. Thanks for having me on. Before we get into it, I just wanted to give you the opportunity to tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do. And while you're at it, maybe just a fun fact about yourself that most people don't know. Okay. Um, well, I'm the founder of Good and Fugly. Um, it's up to 25% of fruit and veg. Never leave the farm because it's not pretty enough. Mm. Um, Good and Fugly's on a mission to change that by rescuing some of the produce and delivering seasonal, fresh, local fruit and veg to people's homes. Um, an interesting fact, I'm not sure how interesting it is, but um, something that I hadn't actually thought about for years um, until after us started up Good and Fugly and was kind of thinking about the origin of it is so I grew up in kind of inner city Sydney and my dad had a fruit and veg patch out everywhere there was a bit of grass and then out the front mm. on the front lawn and yeah, every few months as I was coming home from school I could tell that he'd been out there putting chicken manure down because you could smell it from like about a kilometre away <laughs> um, and I remember just I was a bit embarrassed about it to be honest and kind of wished he didn't do it and here I am now selling fruit and veg. And the thing is, if it was entirely up to me, I'd be a farmer. But my partner, who's a city girl, is like, no way. So this is as mm. close as I'm going to get to being a farmer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, it's funny how things kind of come full circle. Yeah. On that note, let's talk farm to fork. So continuing on from you telling us what you do, would you mind telling us a little bit more about how Good and Fugly's day-to-day operations run as a supplier of imperfect fruits and vegetables? Yeah, sure. Um, so we have kind of a network of growers, mainly local growers, who we speak to kind of every week, um, a few times a week. And so if you're going to get delivered, your box delivered on the Wednesday, we'll speak to our growers on the Tuesday, find out kind of what they've got, um, what's fresh, what's good, you know, what's been damaged by rain, for example, and, and more importantly, find out what kind of fuglies they've got. Um, We'll place our orders and they'll deliver to us on the Wednesday morning. And we then pack our curated boxes and then deliver them to you by the afternoon. So we don't hold kind of any stock at all. Mm. Um, So it's super fresh. So a big chunk of what's in your box could have been literally harvested the day before. Yeah. No, that's genius. What, What would you say separates Good and Fugly from other food box services? Um. Look, I was getting a lot of uh, fruit and veg boxes for for a while, and 
then when the pandemic hit even more. And I think the difference between ours and the others is we really curate our box. We really want it to be an experience um, mm. where, you know, you open it up, you've got a recipe there of maybe a, a veg you haven't used before, to be kohlrabi or, you know, Romanesco. And it's all about the experience. So when you open it up, it looks beautiful. They might be, you know, look, look a bit wonky, have a few marks on it, but the actual experience is beautiful. And we also curate it so that it's, depending on the size, a couple can get three to four meals for the week. Mm. The reason we do it that way is what I found was when I was getting boxes, they were just jam-packed with produce. And I could see the suppliers, what they're trying to do is give you as much value as possible. But what we found, my family found, was that we were throwing out half of it because we just couldn't get through it. And so, you know, the whole mission of Good and Fugly is to reduce waste. So we really make sure that we're not doing that. And, you know, there are some people who might be used to getting, you know, a box jam-packed. And it's a little bit of a behavior change for them when they get introduced to our boxes. Yeah, no, definitely. I, I might be getting a little bit ahead of myself. So I'll, I'll take it back to the start. Mm-hmm. What led to Good and Fugly being created in the first place? What was the catalyst and the journey that led to here? Yeah, so I used to work at um, Go Get Car Share. Australia's leading car share company. And I was there for 12 years as the marketing director and uh, head of customer experience. And I left there just as the pandemic hit. And I was taking my long service leave and was having a bit of a break and kind of work out what was I going to do next. And mm-hmm. around that time, I came across a podcast from um, Pat Brown, who set up Impossible Foods, uh, the, the plant-based meat yep. um, company that's, I think, just launched here through grilled i believe and he was talking about how like what led him to impossible foods and he was previous life was as an academic left that career and was trying to work out what was going to be next and he was looking at what is it that he could do next that would have the biggest most positive impact on the planet Mm. and i thought that was a fantastic way of looking at it and so i kind of tried went through a bit of an exercise trying to do the same thing of what could i do that's going to have the the best, most positive impact. And around the same time is when I came across the stat that 25% of produce never leaves the farm because it's not pretty enough and that a third of all food grown globally is either waste or lost, mm. which just kind of blew me away. Yeah. And I thought, this is something that I could do. And then in doing my research, I found this is already being done overseas. In the US, there are some, a couple of really big popular businesses and also in the UK. Uh, so this isn't a, a completely original idea, but I basically I had a model there to kind of emulate to do that here. Yeah, perfect. Continuing on this train of thought, what's the, the biggest discovery you found with bypassing the food value chain and working directly with suppliers? I guess the surprise was at the beginning that it was a bit of a hard sell with farmers, with the growers. Mm. Look, the first time I, I rocked up at Sydney market and just started, I didn't have much of a plan. I just thought I'd start talking to some, some growers. And um, I guess half a dozen that I first spoke to kind of oh, they weren't interested to give it the time of day, you know, sort of working market. So everyone's super busy. Um, and here's this um, <laughs> kind of naive guy just walking around asking silly questions. And some of them were like, What do you mean you want to buy the imperfect stuff? Like, look at this, this is perfect, it's beautiful, and it's super cheap. Buy this. Yeah. And then eventually found someone who kind of understood what I was saying and listening to me and 
yeah, I guess the first time I got a call and it was like, hey, I've got some, you know, they call number twos and stuff. Would you do you want them? Um, that was pretty exciting. And then now we get calls from up in Queensland. Um, we've actually we've bought some fugly uh, ginger from up in Queensland, and also just got a call the other day from garlic growers out west. So, you know, that's changed. But yeah, that surprised me that it took a bit of convincing with growers. And what we're trying to do, I guess, is what a lot of them are realizing now is this is just another channel for them to market. Um, and instead of all that stuff going to waste, that they can, you know, get paid for it. And we don't, we're not pushing our farmers to give us the cheapest price possible. We're happy to pay a fair price. Um, and yeah, and that's what's bringing the farmers to us as well. Yeah, fantastic. So currently supplying a variety of box options to the Sydney area with plans to go nationwide. What are some of the challenges that lay ahead for you and the team with the goal of making a nationwide impact on food loss? Yeah, look, I think for us, it's you've got the usual kind of challenges of, I think, scaling any business. Um, and that's, you know, making sure our standards don't slip, that everything's super fresh and uh, the quality's great. But then for us as well, it's we really want to move to customization. So to have the biggest impact, you know, our product is fantastic for a lot of people. Um, a lot of people love uh getting a surprise and um, they're excited about what, you know, they're getting their box each week because they're not 100% sure what's going to be in it. Whereas mm. for many people, they want certainty. You've either got young kids that fussy eaters or whatever it is, that you need that certainty. And so we know that for us to have the biggest impact on reducing food waste, we need to give people that certainty. Um, so that's what we're working on. Sure, sure. So... Following that train of thought, what would you identify as being one of the biggest pain points or blind spots in the industry? What what practical measures do you think could combat this? I guess the biggest what the biggest pain points from our point of view is that people have been conditioned about produce looking a certain way, that it's got to look a certain way. Um, in many cases, people have kind of foregone flavour and quality for looks. And, you know, we're doing our part uh, to address that. Um, you know, with curating our boxes and introducing people to real-looking food. Um, but I think the biggest way, the most practical thing that can be done to combat kind of the waste is for supermarkets to, to get on board and to, like, really get on board and, like, take the, the fuglies, their imperfects out of the plastic and separate from the other produce and actually put them in together with everything else. Um, I think that would have the biggest impact. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This question might be uh, kind of hard to answer, seen as the company's been formulated during COVID, but has there been any interesting or noteworthy shopping trends from customers during COVID? Yeah, yeah look, I think, um, look, obviously we've done a lot of research and reading about the industry and its economy-wide trends, um, and we've seen it in our own business is the kind of the big increase in online shopping, obviously, but also... Mm-hmm. Um, the big increase in online shopping for fresh food, which is, I guess, the way we're riding. Um, and Australia's behind a, a lot of the world. So before the pandemic, we were at, I believe, 3% of, kind of fresh food was bought online, um, mm-hmm. whereas in the UK and the US, it's like above 30%. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think while a lot of people are going to go back uh, to how they used to do it, I think um, there's going to be many, and that's what we're finding. Uh, lots of people um, who tried it for the first time uh, during lockdown uh, sticking with it. 
So when it comes to food loss, food security, and sustainability, what's the biggest area of interest for you? Or to put it in another way, what are some of the things that you and your team are researching the most right now? Yeah, um, look, to be honest, we're just kind of focused on our core product. Um, you know, it's at very early days and we're still learning and making sure it's as convenient as possible. And again, we're really focused on giving our customers the chance to be able to customize their boxes um that's what we're focused on mm. sure sure so on the back end of that question is there a particular group or innovation within the industry that you're excitedly keeping a watchful eye on oh, look to be honest i don't know about excitedly but mm. this new these new guys who are the groceries in 10 minutes that you can get your groceries delivered within 10 minutes yeah which i I know it's big in the US and the UK, um, and here it's just starting out. But look, keep an eye on them for obvious reasons, but also I think convenience, absolutely get the convenience. Um, mm, mm. But I'm worried that it's just going to accelerate waste. And it's just kind of feeding into this kind of mentality of, you know, just like fast fashion, you know, it's like fast food. Um, I think they've. Going to the, at least even going to the supermarkets, you've got to be a little bit more thoughtful or mindful. Um, but yeah, maybe I'm wrong. Um, but yeah, I'm keeping an eye on it. I, I can see what you're saying, though. It really could go either way. I think like from the top of my head, there's about like four or five of those services that have all kind of popped up overnight. Um, and uh, yeah, it could be that thing of of kind of making purchases without really thinking about it too much and then evidently having waste. Or it might be a thing of buying things with purpose and buying specifics. So yeah, yeah, it, it really yeah, could go true. either way. But um yeah. but but I am I am quite interested to see what kind of happens in that space. All that to be said, what's one thing you wish you had known when you first began this journey of delivering rescued fresh produce? So my background is you know, customer experience and marketing. So um, fruit and veg is uh, kind of a well, massive learning curve for me. The one thing I wish I'd known about before starting was the cold chain, um, mm. which is a concept I didn't know about. So when we first started, I was – so after each day, we end up with excess produce. And I – obviously, I don't want that to go to waste. And so I donated it to a charity, um, a small charity, local charity. So I was basically at the end of the day, grab whatever produce was left, shove it in a fridge or fridges and then take it to them the next day or sometimes even two days later. And it was great. Produce looked great. They were really happy. And then after a while, maybe it was like a month or two, um, they kind of came back to me and said, oh, look, we're going to have to stop for, for a little while, but thanks, we'll get back to you. Probably something about logistics or something and then they were going to come back to me. Mm. And then... Around the same time, I had a conversation with a guy, I won't say who he worked for, but his title was Head of Vegetables. And so he knew a thing or two about produce and gave me a couple of hours of his time and just downloaded all this information. Um, and that's when I discovered the whole concept of the cold chain. Um, and so what I suspect is the produce I was giving these guys all the way to get to me and then I spent a day putting it in the boxes, whatever, and then shoving it in the fridge for a couple of days and taking it back out, that after a day or two with the end user of the, the produce, that it was rotting. Yeah. And 
yeah, so that's we've obviously changed our processes now. And I guess the in some ways the good thing is it led me to to Oz Harvest, who we donate all our access projects to now. Um, but yeah, it would have been good if I'd known it to start with. Yeah, yeah. No, it's funny the cold chain with the uh, right conditions. I mean, they can hold on to certain produce items for anywhere up to eighteen to twenty four months. Yeah, and so it's I mean, kind of it's kind of mind blowing when you first get that revelation. But yeah, I mean, you've learned now, so yeah, <laughs> the the future looks bright. Yeah. <laughs> right. But as we come to a close, I just want to ask you: What is the number one takeaway you really want listeners to absorb from this episode? Look, I guess number one takeaway for people to think about it is that I think people need to think about that a third of all food produced around the world goes to waste. Mm. Um, that's all that land, water, fuel, all for nothing, not to mention the people around the world that are hungry. And one way that you can make a difference is by seeking out and buying imperfect produce. That's pretty easy. And if your listeners want to try us, if they use the promo code FUGLY20, they can get 20% off their first box. Perfect. Might have to give that a try. <laughs> well, that's all for today's episode of Let's Talk Farm to Fork. Thanks for listening and thank you, Richard, for joining me today. Thanks, Mitch. Really appreciate it. If you would like to know more about Richard and Good and Fugly, check out the link in the description of this episode. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode and don't forget to leave a review and share with your friends. Until next time, you've been listening to Let's Talk Farm to Fork, a post-harvest podcast. We appreciate you joining us for this episode of Let's Talk Farm to Fork. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. Also, if you would like to learn more about how you can practically play your part in maximizing fruit and vegetable supplies, whether you're a supplier, consumer, or anyone in between the farm to fork journey, visit postharvest.com and try out their free online course library today. <laughs>